It has now been about three years since I've been teaching worship, W.O. 510. I'll admit that I never set out to teach worship, W.O. 510, but as professors will attest, there are times that classes land in our laps and we teach them. My teaching of W.O. 510 is, the, is related to the attrition of the worship professors going to other schools and retiring. So for those of you who've had me for WO510, I guess I could say um, it wasn't our intention, but we've made it through. And when I found out that I was going to be teaching worship, I decided I needed to brush up. So I ordered a stack of books for fun, just to read, and I even went back and looked at my notes from Don Boyd's class when I was a student, and I reviewed all the books that I had already on my shelf. And I learned a lot, but one day I ran across, or was running through, I should say, a book called The Church Calendar by Lawrence Hall Stuckey. And in that book, Stuckey says something that I found shocking. He attests to the fact that the church calendar starts with Easter. Now, if you follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and if you pay attention to Cokesbury, you would probably know that you're supposed to think that the church calendar begins when? With Advent, you're right. But no, Stuckey says we've got it all wrong. Every time that we think we're starting a new year at Advent, that's not quite it. We start the church calendar with Easter because without Easter, there would be no other season of the church calendar. Apart from this season, this week that we're in now, there would be nothing of the church calendar that we currently celebrate so happy Christian New Year. <laughs> we are at the beginning of our life together as a church. Well, when I think about Easter, my memory goes back to Easter as a child, and I have two predominant memories. The first is very, very simple, and it probably sounds like it's coming from a child. My memory is that on Easter we celebrated that Jesus rose from the grave. Simple, right? A historical event that happened in the past that we were then honoring on Easter, and much to my chagrin, it was usually at 6.30, that sunrise service, and we gathered in a darkened sanctuary, all hmm, 25 of us maybe, and we sang that hymn that hardly gets sung anymore, Up from the grave he arose. And as we sang up from the grave he arose, he arose a victor from the dark domain. He lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, the lights in the sanctuary went up. And Easter had arrived. Hallelujah, Christ arose. Amen. So the problem with that memory and my remembrance of it is simply this. 
that the um, celebration of the resurrection was an event that happened in past tense. It was something that we looked back to, but to my recollection as a child, I don't remember, and maybe even as a young adult, I don't remember that we talked very much about the implication of Easter for the lives that we live right now. So that's memory number one. Memory number two, you may share with me that Easter is about new clothes. And some of us like new clothes. I see a lot of smiles, so you're with me. Some of us like new clothes more than others. But I got to thinking that I'm sort of off the radar in terms of Easter styles and Easter clothes as I was thinking about our sermon today. So this last week especially, I've been paying careful attention to Easter clothing trends. I found out that Kohl's offers 20% off for everybody who buys clothes that have something to do with Easter. Usually that means pastel and probably frilly and girly and guy, boy, little boys with cute little ties. And then I found a Facebook conversation of one of our graduates who asked the question, a very good question, she has two small children, and she said, do I have to do the Easter bunny and Easter baskets? And one wise person replied and said, don't do the Easter bunny or Easter baskets. Instead, lay out new clothes and remind your children that they're clothed in the love of Jesus. I thought that was good. And then I saw an article on Facebook about a woman from Laurel County, Kentucky, who decided that every girl of school age needed a new dress. So over the last five years, she has raised money and supplied 750 dresses to the girls of her community. So it appears to me that clothing does remain an outward sign of our celebration of Easter. When I think of those two childhood themes, Jesus' resurrection and new clothes, they come together beautifully for me in the text that has been written, except the meaning gets expanded beyond my youthful memories. Number one, it is true that Jesus died. It is true that he is risen. And it's true that he is still alive, has risen to the Father, and is seated at the right hand of God Almighty. In 1 Corinthians, excuse me, in Colossians 3, 1 through 3, we hear, read this. So if you've been raised with Christ, Seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him 
in glory. That, those few verses, have caused me to adjust my childhood memory of Easter as just something that's happened in the past. Easter's not simply remembering that event of Jesus rising from the dead. It's remembering that the resurrection makes a real difference in our lives right now. He's alive, and because he is alive, we know the fullness of his spirit even today. My second memory, new clothes, was addressed in the passage that was read for us. But before we get to the new clothes section of the passage that was read for us, there's another word. And it's an adjustment that says before you get new clothes, before you put on Easter clothes, you have to strip yourself of anything that is not consistent with the resurrection life of our Lord. And so in verse 8 we read, But now you must get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices. When I think of those description of anger and wrath and malice and lying and stripping them off, my mind immediately moves to the barn. I didn't grow up on a big farm, but we had a few cows, and we had a lot of chickens, and a handful of turkeys, and some pigs. Well, it ended up being my job fairly frequently to take a pitchfork and go into our little barn and clean. If you've ever been in a little barn or a big barn with a pitchfork cleaning up after cows and especially chickens, you'll understand that when you get out of the barn, the very thing that you want to do most is strip off your clothes. In fact, my mom had a rule that you stripped off your clothes in the basement. We had a basement entry to our house. Get rid of those clothes before you even enter the house. But there's a problem. After you spend several hours in the barn, you get used to the smell. You've been there? <laughs> and so your nose has become sensory blind to the fact that you smell very ripe. And so the urgency to get rid of the clothes, the anger, the wrath, the malice, the lying, that kind of urgency falls away. And we get used to the smell of the barn in our lives. We might think, we should think, that the work of Lent, the work of self-examination happens in this season that precedes Easter, and certainly it did. As a community, we were led beautifully through the season of Lent to examine those places in our life that smelled quite ripe that didn't fit in the life of the church, 
And yet, even on this very first week of a brand new year, some of us might have to admit that the clinging odor, the stench of sin, of brokenness, still hangs with us. The work of Lent might not yet be fully complete. There might be things that haven't been exhumed from our life. And so today, on this week of resurrection, this week of resurrection, we have another chance. We have another chance to say, because the Lord is risen, because the Spirit is with us, we can strip off those clothes that smell so bad. Amen. But in stripping off those clothes, which and for some of us, for most of us, I would guess, becomes a lifelong practice, we do eventually arrive at Easter clothing. We eventually arrive at the announcement that our living Lord Jesus, who is alive today, calls us to be clothed in his life and in his character. This is bad news for the clothing retailers of our day. The clothing retailers, retailers of our day every year like to roll out new trends, new colors, new patterns. And yet, when it comes to the life of Christ and the clothing of resurrection, the characteristics that we look at in our text today will never go out of style. They will never wear out and we are not just about being in an Easter parade of frilly dresses and pastels and cute ties. We're about a lifelong journey of becoming more and more like our Lord so that the very character of Christ takes up residence in us and there's a consistency then between the model of Jesus and our lives. Don't you wish when you, went, when you go to the mall that there was some kind of a coherence or a consistency between the models in the store window and what you look like? There's a pretty, often there's kind of a gap there, isn't there? And yet this passage gives us an incredible promise that Jesus is more than a model. He's more than a mannequin. That in fact, we have the opportunity and the privilege as the sons and daughters of God not just to look like a mannequin, but to have that one who has been raised to so dwell within us that we're made over in his image. That is great good news. We're called to wear our identity as the baptized children of God, those who are chosen, who are holy, and are beloved of the Father. Did you catch those three words? Chosen, holy, and beloved. Before Paul names the church as chosen, holy, and beloved, God himself used those descriptors to describe Israel his prized possession. And so today, 
as the church, chosen, holy, and beloved. We are called by God as his prized possession. And the clothing that we wear is worn from the inside out. This isn't clothing, clothing that we just wear on the outside of the body and strip off. The clothing that this passage talks about is the renewal of our very character. It's a kind of renewal that we find takes up residence inside us. It's Jesus' life living through us, and it's Jesus transforming us so that we're clothed in his own character. So there we have it, my childhood themes coming together. The risen Lord is more than a historical celebration, and clothing is more than items worn for special occasions. Take a look at the clothing that's named in the passage that was read. Here's the list. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, and above all else, love. This is not a wardrobe made up of soft colors cho carefully chosen for seasonal or sentimental photographs. These items are not feel-good items that we wear because it makes us look Christian. These garments are the very garments worn by our Lord Jesus Christ. Think about the list again, and think about the images from Jesus' life and ministry that come to mind. Compassion. Picture Jesus raising the widow of Nain's son out of his care for her, that she be cared for for the rest of her life. Kindness. There's Jesus telling his disciples, don't shoo the children away, but let them come to me. Humility. It was just last week we saw Jesus kneeling at that last supper he shared with his disciples, washing their feet, the act of a slave or a servant. Gentleness. Picture Jesus speaking with the woman at the well and carefully exchanging dialogue with her through the twists and turns of her life conversation and her theological questions to bring her to the place of offering living water. Patience. Jesus carefully telling the rich young ruler that he needs to sell everything and give the proceeds to the poor only to allow him to watch him walk away. That's patience. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is unfolding even this week of Easter as we think of Jesus meeting Peter 
and restoring him for those three times that he denied him, giving him the opportunity to be drawn back into a relationship of love. And love. The supreme act, the supreme garment that all of us would want to wear is seen most clearly on our Lord as he hung naked on a cross. That's irony, isn't it? Clothing that we're clothed ourselves with, to clothe ourselves with, and yet the most beautiful, ugly expression of that clothing being love on a naked figure hanging in shame on a cross. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, and love. Taken together, those garments are a portrait of Jesus in his life and in his death. These are not occasional pieces of clothing that he could put on and take off, but these are the very characteristics of our Lord that go to the very core of his being. And Paul says to us, they can be the very characteristics of our being as well. We're called to do more than admire these garments that our Lord wore, but rather as God's holy, chosen, and beloved children, we, the church, are to attire ourselves after Jesus with the fruit of the Spirit. I don't know about you, but if we were to stand in a dressing room, you know, one of those really ugly dressing rooms that has surround mirrors, everywhere you turn, you get some aspect of yourself in a mirror. If this morning we were to put a three-way mirror up and take turns standing in front of that mirror, my hunch is most of us would say that we fall woefully short in reflecting the very character of Christ that Paul calls us to put on. This wardrobe, if it could only be purchased, if we could only work hard enough to earn it, maybe it wouldn't be so bad standing in front of that mirror. But when we're honest, there's a large gap between our lives and the life of our Lord, and we ask ourselves, how is it? How is it that we can be clothed in the very character of Christ? Well, right here in our, um, our passage, we get one hint. In verse 16, Paul writes, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom and with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God. How is, how, how is it that we clothe ourselves with the character of Christ? We dwell in the word. And not only do we dwell in the word as individuals learning that word for ourselves, but we speak that word to each other. We teach each other and we admonish each other. We live in community. And not only that, but we 
take that word and allow it to be sung in our midst. That word comes alive for us when we trust and turn to the Holy Spirit to do the clothing work on our behalf. So Paul calls us to put on these characteristics, this character, these clothes that are the very clothes of our Lord, and yet we shake our heads and we know from experience we don't have the power to do it. And it's when we come to the place where we recognize that we don't have the power to be good enough, when we don't have the ability to be Christ-like, when we can't clothe ourselves, that in self-surrender, we invite the Spirit to clothe us through his word and through his presence. So today, as we come to the table on this first week of the Christian year, May we who have been baptized into Christ be clothed in the Spirit so fully that our lives take on the character of our Lord. Amen.